You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. This morning, we are continuing our journey uh, today into the discovery of what faith is and what living in faith looks like. Um, I'll be honest with you, sometimes it, it's hard to know exactly what faith is, like how, how to define it, right? Um, I believe that that's why the writer of Hebrews, he gave us, he or she gave us stories to consider in Hebrews 11. Uh, people's lives to look at to help us understand what faith is. And also to push us to live in faith by the encouragement of what, what that the writer calls the great cloud of witnesses that we find here. And I believe that the whole point of Hebrews chapter 11 is, is, is summed up, is spelled out in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. And this, this is what it says. Since then, therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all the stories that we have been reading about, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The whole point of talking about faith is so that we can run the race set before us with our eyes on Jesus, who is the foundation and the perfecter of our faith, all the while being encouraged and challenged by the stories of faith that lived out by the other people that we read about. I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert here, all right? a bit of a heads up of something we're going to be doing later on in the service. And I'm going to be asking you... <laughs> to take a step of faith, all right? Just a small one, I think. I'm gonna ask you to share with someone that's sitting beside you or maybe in front of you or behind you or something like that, a story or a simple statement of how God has been faithful to you. All right, quite simply, just how God has, how, how has God answered a prayer in your life? How has God been good to you? It can be, as I said, just a simple one-word uh, or one-sentence statement, or it can be a, a short, short story. All right, let's keep it short. <laughs> and honestly, I give you permission to start thinking about it right now. All right, if, if this is something that, is, um, that, that you need some time to think about, to compose your words, that's okay, because if you're thinking about how, how has God been faithful to me, well, then you've already got the point of my message. All right, that's what this is all about today, is, is, is sharing stories of how God has been faithful to us so that we can encourage other people and spur them on to live lives of faith. So that's coming later. Heads up. Tim Mackey uh, from the Bible Project says this, faith is a transfer of trust. Later on in the same message that he gives about Hebrews 11, he expands on that idea, and he says, faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin. 
Faith is action that began by thinking it through whether the one who is calling me into action is trustworthy, and if he is, I act in faith. I went to India back in 2004 on a mission trip, and I possibly, I ate possibly the spiciest chili I've ever had. Uh, We were in the state of West Bengal, uh, north of the city of Calcutta, if you know your Indian geography. And we were having supper with a pastor and his family. Uh, an Indian guy that was traveling with us from Delhi, that's kind of where we were. We went up to West Bengal for a, for a weekend. He was traveling with us, and he had about four of these little green chilies, about, about this big. He had four of them on his plate, and he was just dipping them in salt and eating them. And so I thought to myself, how hot can they be? <laughs> he's, he's, had a, he's like he had a handful already. And so I said, Kato, can I have one of those? <laughs> and he handed one to me with, uh, with a look that I should have interpreted as a warning. <laughs> I did not see that look or did not function in my brain, but so I just I simply popped it in my mouth and, and started chewing. Now... Side note, I should tell you as well that we were in a very rural village, right? This was in, in, honestly like in the jungle, and we had to boil our water in order to drink it. And because of this, there wasn't an abundance of drinking water around. <laughs> you might know where this is heading. <laughs> the combination of lack of drinking water and this seemingly innocuous little green pepper <laughs> uh, became an obvious issue about 10 seconds after I put this pepper in my mouth. <laughs> and then it continued to be an issue as I, as I suffered for the Lord. <laughs> as people laughed at me. <laughs> I was in India for about three months and it was an absolutely amazing experience. I highly recommend it to anyone. And I want to tell you a story that, that even now, it, it still makes me shake my head and it still reminds me of, of God's faithfulness. Um, it happened in that same place as, as the Pepper incident, and my mission team, as I said, we were there uh, just for a short amount of time, and we were there to, to lead worship and to teach at this, this youth conference that was happening, um, that was being held in a tent, so you know, think like big circus tent, uh, in the middle of a jungle where, where our host there told us, don't wander out at night, because there's elephants that could trample you. Like, ah, okay. I'm not used to elephants being the danger at nighttime. So that was kind of a nice change. Uh, We were leading a session during this conference about how to tell other people about Jesus, about evangelism. And we were uh, sharing with these youth how to use uh, what some of you might know as the wordless book. All right, it was an evangelistic thing actually developed by Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Basically, it, it uses different colors of either paper or ribbon or something like that, and it, it's this kind of visual cues so that the teller can tell people about the story of Jesus' gospel, the good news of Jesus and the transformation that it happens in someone's life. And so, yes, what we are going to do is hand out pieces of ribbon, sets of ribbon, so that people, that the, all the youth would have something to take home so that they could share the gospel with the people around them. 
And so as one of my team members was up on the stage teaching and training these youth, uh, there were a few of us cutting up little sections of ribbon and handing them out to the youth. And we had brought enough supplies for about 100 sets of ribbon. And it soon became very evident that there was a lot more than 100 people there. There was probably closer to 300 people sitting in this big tent. Uh, But we kept on cutting ribbon. And and I remember that I prayed that God would provide enough ribbon so that everybody could have a set. (laughs) And then I jokingly added, Lord, let there be 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Kind of like the feeding of the 5,000. And so we kept on cutting and we kept on handing out. And eventually, wow, we got word that all of the kids, all of the youth had a set of ribbons. Oh, praise God. That's awesome. But then I got to be thinking. I was like, well, I have to check something. I, so I kind of I wandered around and, and, and I, I, asked, I was asking my, my team, team like, well, how, how many do we have any leftovers? And they're like, well, yeah, I think we have a few. So, you know, gathered them up, counted them. And you probably know where this is heading too. I counted 12 sets of ribbon left over. <laughs> and so God is so good. <laughs> and also God has a sense of humor. <laughs> I just, I, I love it. That, that faith in God means trusting the one who calls us into action and then acting because of that trust. In India, I trusted that God was the provider of all things, even little things like ribbon. And we acted on that trust by continuing to cut ribbon and to continue to hand them out. And God was faithful. The two verses of Hebrews that we're going to be looking at today are verses 28 and 29. Hebrews chapter 11, 28 and 29. And they are are slightly different, I would think, than most of the other verses in Hebrews 11 as they talk about a community of people acting in faith. And compared to the other verses which talk about individuals acting in faith. So let's read them and then we'll, we'll see what God has for us here. In Hebrews 11, 28 and 29. It says this, by faith he, this is talking about Moses still, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And so we're still camped out in the life of Moses. And how he lived by faith and how he was leading the people of God. His parents gave him an amazing example of faith. Right from the get-go of his, his life. It, um, they hid him. They hid him and they preserved his life. Uh, which enabled him, ended up enabling him to, to raise him in their own home. As he was the adopted grandson of the Pharaoh. But later on in life, he chose to not be Egyptian royalty. He chose not to live that life, but instead go back to his roots, go back to his people and live a life of faith and take his chances really with the God of his ancestors and people that were his people. When the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews talks about Moses keeping the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, I believe that the original readers would would instantly know that this is talking about the whole story of how the Israelites left Egypt. 
This one sentence statement would bring up the whole, bring up their memories of the whole account of the ten, the ten plagues, which led to the destroyer passing over all of the Israelite homes and, and them being protected by the death of a lamb, and, but being protected by the death of the lamb so that their firstborn would not be killed. And this was all because of the blood of the lamb that was spread on their door frames. And this account be, can, can be read, if you so choose, in Exodus chapters 7 to 12. Uh, and I would really encourage you. It's a, an amazing story. Uh, they, and they are amazed, the people of God are amazed in telling that God is sovereign. Over and over again, they end up telling of God's faithfulness, of God's sovereignty. And these chapters are an amazing testimony of that. Verses like Exodus 8.22 8, which says, but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord your God in the midst of the earth. Or Exodus 9.26, only, only in the land of Goshen where the people of Israel were was there no hail. And there's other verses like that scattered through here too. God allows the plagues to hit the Egyptians really hard, but yet he safeguards his own people. Now, it's worth pointing out here that throughout the first nine plagues, God's people didn't have to do anything to reap the benefits of God's amazing power. They just had to be. They just sat there, they just lived their lives, and God showed them an amazing display of his power and might. The tenth plague, however, is is a little bit different though. This is where the people's faith in God had to turn from observation and thought and turn to action. Through God's direction to Moses, the people were told that they needed to kill a lamb and use a rudimentary paintbrush to put some of the blood on their door frames. And this action was to keep the people safe from the final plague, which was that every firstborn in the land of Egypt was going to die. As it says in Exodus 12, 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The people of God had to act in faith. They had, to see, they had seen God act and reasoned that God was powerful and now God was asking them to trust him to act in faith. Because truly, <laughs> putting a bit of blood on your door frames and that's going to protect your firstborn from death, that seems a bit weird. But this is God asking them, you've seen what I can do. You've seen what I have done. You have reasonable evidence that I am God of gods. I am king of kings. I am Lord of lords and I am faithful to you. So now do this thing and put your faith in me. And so let me be very clear to you. The Passover story in Exodus chapter 12 is a clear picture And it's foreshadowing Jesus dying on the cross for us. 
Just as, the, as a lamb died and its blood was a sign of protection over the people from death and it led to the people coming out of slavery, in the same way, Jesus, the Lamb of God, died. And his blood not only protects us from destruction and death, but it is the gift of God that leads us out of slavery to sin and into the freedom of faith in God. John the Baptist proclaims this when he sees Jesus in John 1.29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. By trusting in the blood of a lamb, and by extension, the God who told them what to do, the people of Israel were led out of Egypt at the very first Passover. Faith and action go together. It wouldn't have been enough for the people to simply believe that the lamb's blood would protect them and and they were like, yeah, I, I get that, I believe that, but not do anything. They needed to actually act upon that faith and paint their door frames. Faith and action go together. It's not enough for us to simply have an idea in our minds that God can save us by what Jesus did on the cross. If we think that God is trustworthy, then our faith needs to be put into action by turning away from sin and giving God our entire lives, our entire past, present, and everything that will come. At the end of Exodus 12, we read in verses 40 and 41, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went up from the land of Egypt. Pretty awesome. The people were led out of Egypt, out of their 430 years of slavery, into the wilderness? Exodus 13, 18. It says, but God led the people, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Interesting. Let's keep reading so we can get a picture, better picture of how God was leading his people. In Exodus 13, 20, all the way to 14, verse 4. And they moved on from Sakoth and encamped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Pahiroth, could be, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, huh, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, 
and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So let's be clear here. By faith, the people of God put blood on their door frames and kept the Passover as God had commanded them. These actions led to God delivering them from slavery as well as protecting them from death. But, but what happens next? God leads his people into the wilderness where to all the other people, including Pharaoh and the rest of the Egyptians, it looks like they're just wandering around. It looks like they're lost. Then God plans for Pharaoh and his army to come and pursue the people into the wilderness. Hmm. So if you keep on reading in Exodus 14, you can find the rest of the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. And again, it's a story worth reading, which is what Hebrews 11.29 points us to. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land because of God's mighty acts, but when the Egyptians pursued them into the passageway through the water, they were drowned. Hmm. But here, here, here's what, I, what caught my attention, at least this time around as I was reading these verses. The time that the people spent in between the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea are very important here. However long this time was, I read somewhere, you know, estimates, maybe it could have been seven days up to a month. It doesn't really say. However long this time was, the people of God had to get used to a new way of living. All right, from slavery to freedom. From having houses to living in tents. Now, like, it just makes me wonder, what were they thinking through this time? And I have a feeling that this was kind of a time of stress. They were trying to adjust. They were coming to grips with the fact that they weren't slaves anymore. And that they could make their own decisions. When the Israelites saw, however, that the Egyptian army was coming, they could see, probably see the big dust cloud as the, as the Pharaoh's army and the chariots were coming toward them, they cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses in Exodus 14, 11 and 12, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Hmm. It seems that in the time after the Passover, the people had forgotten how bad slavery was and they wanted to go back. They wanted to go back. They had forgotten that it was God their own God, who had brought them out of Egypt. It wasn't Moses. They blamed Moses, but it wasn't Moses that had led them out. They'd forgotten how it was God who had delivered them in such an amazing, magnificent way. And at, at first glance, I think it's really easy for myself, for sure, and maybe for, perhaps for you, to think, ah, oh, these dumb people, 
<laughs> how, could they quick, how could they forget that so quickly? How could they forget what just happened? Wow. But seriously, let me ask you honestly, don't we do the same thing at times? Let me say it this way. We are saved from our sin by faith in God, but we aren't saved and led into a golden, carefree existence. By faith, we act in obedience to God, and that obedience leads us to more challenges and more opportunities to act in faith. When we come up against those challenges, what, what is our response? How could God do this? How could something this hard or challenging ever happen to me? I put my faith in God. I wish I'd never even started down this road. You know, Jesus mentions this attitude in Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower. People accept and believe in God with joy, but some fall away when troubles and hardships come because they have no deep roots. Some people start following God, but the cares of this world choke out their faith, and their faith dies. I'll speak out of personal experience. When things have been challenging in my life, I, I confess I have had times when I have completely forgotten God's faithfulness. We all, I believe, I think at some point or another tend to forget God's faithfulness. And we all need to be reminded of God's faithfulness so that we can continue to trust him to be faithful to us in our lives. And this, this is where community comes in. This is where all of us have a part to play because we are all called to tell others of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness. Psalm 40 verse nine, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. Psalm 145 verse four, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Do you speak of the things that God has done to you, for you, to your kids, to your grandkids? Do your kids tell you what God has done? Being part of a community of faith is speaking to one another of God's goodness, reminding each other of reasons to keep the faith. Christmas? It's a reminder to us every year of God's faithfulness in sending Jesus to the world. Easter, it's a reminder to us every year of God's great love to the whole world. A story of having enough ribbon in India, it's a reminder to me and to us that God's provision is secure in everything. So many stories to be told of God's goodness and faithfulness. Catherine Linder's recent 
miraculous recovery. She's at home. Praise the Lord. She's at home because God is good. It's a reminder to me how faithful God is to his people. So we're at the moment that I warned you about earlier. And I, I, I want to have a time of sharing. And this is going to be short. I'm going to set my timer on my watch, on my clock, to five minutes. Okay? Because I believe that we all have stories. We all have stories that can encourage and remind people, remind others, that God is faithful. And we need to be reminded. I believe that it is our duty to speak these stories and to tell others of how God has been good to us. It is our duty to remind others of what God has done for us. And so here's what I'm challenging you to do. With your family, or with the people that you came with, or perhaps with the, the people next to you, find someone though, find someone to share a story or a simple one sentence statement of God's faithfulness to you. And I encourage you, if you're struggling, if, if you're like, I, I don't know about this, I, I don't know if I have a story, that's okay. Then, then be encouraged by someone else's story. So if you're watching online with your family right now, please do this too. If you're watching by yourself, write it in the comments on the Facebook Live uh, video stream or message the church. That'd be awesome too. And so, as I said, let's take five minutes and turn to your neighbor and simply tell a story of how God has been faithful to you, how God has answered your prayer, how God has been good to you. All right. I think probably some of us could probably just continue to tell stories. But as we come back, as we come back, I, I really hope that there, there's a bit more of a, a bit more encouragement in your spirit as we share with one another of God's faithfulness, of God's provision. Um, yeah, True was just reminding me of a, of a story of how God protected myself. I've told this, I told this story to the youth um, this was when I was in high school and uh, I was on my bike <laughs> and my parents shake their heads. I was on my motorbike, or sorry, on my, on my mountain bike and I, was, I, was go I found this, we made this jump at youth group and so we were going off of it and I went over it one time and, and you know, it wasn't that impressive and so I was going, okay, I'm going to go on it next time and this is going to be great. I'm going to go get huge air. That's how I talked back then. And, but before I did that, God, I, I, it was one of the, the few times in my, my life I, I like distinctly had like that, that, that God's voice. It wasn't audible, but it was like, it was for sure God telling me to do something. And he was like, go put your helmet on. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess, yeah, okay, I guess I can do that, God. Yeah. So, you know, get my helmet on. And I <clears throat> went off this jump and... I landed wrong. I landed on my front tire and I flipped over and I like my head smacked on the ground really hard and I like I cracked my bike helmet in two pieces. <laughs> and so I, I walked away from that just with a few scars on my legs from the chain ring. But other than that, I'm like, praise God. <laughs> God is faithful. Otherwise, I, I, I wouldn't be here. 
you know? And so we, we come back and we, oh, we are so thankful as a community that we can encourage one another. And, and so we're brought back to another, another point, another reminder of God's faithful love to us in communion, right? This is, a, this is a weekly, for us as a church, we do this weekly to remind ourselves of what this means. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim so that others can hear. In other words, you, we, we are reminding one another of Jesus' death and what it means for us in our lives. Thank you.